groups. Um, this is the way I describe our city groups, or this is the way I describe our church. We've tried to make it as simple as possible, uh, taking our cues from um, some very important people in the world. Uh, simpler is better, it seems. Um, so this is the way I would describe our church. We do big and we do small. So if you're, if you're brand new, pay attention here. We do big and we do small. This is our big. It used to be quite small, so it was kind of funny when I said this is our big. Uh, now it's growing and it's exciting to see that. But we, we do church like this on Sunday mornings where we gather together and uh, we together as a church family Uh, We worship together, we sing songs about Jesus, we learn about Jesus, we hear from Jesus, um, and then really we respond to Jesus uh, together through taking the Lord's table. Hey, we got two tables, that's how much we've grown. Uh, This is our first Sunday where we had two tables because the lineup is huge at the end of the service, which is a great problem to have. Um, And and so we, we do all these things together as a family, but this isn't the only way, in fact, this isn't the primary way, I would say, to connect Uh, with the people in your church. If you feel disconnected from your church uh, and you aren't involved in a city group, there's probably a good reason for that because that is the place where really this gospel connection, this church family connection really sinks in deep. And for those of you who are involved in a city group, you know exactly what I mean. Many of you may have come through the doors of Urban Grace uh, and then heard this and then got involved in the city group and realized I probably wouldn't even go to this church if it weren't for city groups. That's kind of the point, actually, for, for the majority. And we're really hoping that if you're here for a long time uh, but aren't connected to the city group, you're, we're just going to make you feel so uncomfortable you're finally going to join one. That's really the purpose of it. Uh, but truthfully, uh, that's, we, we believe in this so much. That's the small. The city group is the small. Uh, we have three city groups meeting right now. Uh, throughout the city, and uh, we're about to go to four in the new year here. We've got brand new leaders uh, going out uh, and going to be in a a fourth city group, and uh, really we're going to start to see these city groups multiply from each other, uh, not just like one at a time, but literally two, three at a time, um, if Jesus continues to bless us the way he has. And in these groups, we gather together. We eat meals. This is really important to us. Uh, when we started this, at first it was a little awkward for us. Just like if you're used to eating uh, a family meal, anyone grow up a family meal in front of the television? Anyone like that? And then you suddenly got convicted about it. You're like, we should eat as a family. And you started eating together as a family? Did that not feel awkward? Right? It, it's, it's awkward at the first. You're like, uh, what do we talk about? Um, yeah, it's awkward. Kind of like right now. It's awkward. And... But we, we really pushed on that and we said, you know, there is a lot that happens. If you look in the Bible and you look at the majority of the ministry of Jesus, you will find that it's often over a meal. And so we said, no, we're not going to quit doing the meals. The first one is like we ordered pizza and like we didn't get, you know, not everyone paid. You ever have that? You're like, hey, let's all order pizza. And then everyone finds their way out the door before paying. And we're like, oh, we're never ordering pizza again. So we were going to quit our meal, but we said, no, let's not do that. Let's, let's force people to eat together. And you know what? We're really thankful that we did because that is one of the primary ways you will connect is if you join a city group, you eat a meal, just like eating a family meal uh, at Thanksgiving, but probably much more functional, um, not dysfunctional. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and you will, after the meal, we'll gather for, we, we studied the Bible together. Uh, what we study is what, 
the content of your Sunday morning message. So if you listen to a Sunday morning message, you're like, oh, I have a lot of questions about that. But what about this? And I'd like to know, like, does this apply to my situation? Well, I'm so glad you're asking those questions because that's what happens in city groups. We answer a lot of them. And they're, they're different depending on who your leader is, so a little bit of style difference. Uh, but for the most part, the content is the same in every group. Uh, then we also serve and bless the city as best as we can together. So there are people in our lives that, that need Jesus' love. They need, us to, they need to be served by Jesus. And so because of those personal connections, now we as a, as a city group, more like a family group is really the idea here. Uh, we serve and bless the city together. Now, for those of you who know what a city group is and are involved in a city group, you are evangelists for city groups, okay? I want you to be the ones that tell other people who are not yet in city groups, hey, you should join my city group because it's a great place where you can learn about the gospel. So that's my shortened form of what we do as a church. We do the big and we do the small, and really that's about it. There are some other things that go on. We don't advertise them. We don't push them because we don't want those to be the first and foremost thing that you're involved in. We want you to join us with the big. We want you to join us with the small. If you want to do that, we've got brand new Connect cards. Uh, You should be able to recognize them. They say Connect on them. Um, And there's a little cool Connect the Dots sort of thing. Uh, If you're bored in the service, you could actually connect those dots and uh, build a picture of Calgary. So uh, extra little bonus for you. Those are free. Uh, (laughs) Fill those out. Uh, The back is very convenient as well. Um, Fill those out if you want to connect to the city, if you want to connect Uh, Sorry, if you want to connect to a city group, if you want to connect to the city, I know a lot of city talk here this morning, um, which is our uh, social networking site that's designed specifically to help churches stay connected. Uh, Fill one of these out with your email and drop it in the offering plate when it comes around at the end of the service. Um, If you just like to talk to somebody about Jesus, you're not yet a Christian or you just became a Christian and you just want to know what this whole Jesus gospel thing is about, fill one of those out as well. And if you'd like to help us serve, there are going to be coming up a number of ways in which we can serve. And we're thinking about expanding what we're doing here on Sunday morning. Uh, We're thinking about, we're praying about, we're asking Jesus what he wants us to do with that. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity uh, for you to be involved. So if there's something that you feel like Jesus has gifted you with and you would like to offer that in the mission of our church, we'd like you to fill that out and say, please contact me about this. I'd like to know more. Okay. Those are really uh, the announcements. Um, You should have received a a new bulletin. It's new. Uh, That's a new idea here. Uh, The Christmas Eve service coming up on the 24th, obviously, and uh, 3 p.m. Please bring friends. Please arrive early to get a seat. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to tell you to do that so we can hang out more. Um, But arrive early on Christmas Eve and talk, and uh, we're going to hear about what Jesus did by coming to us uh, through the gospel. We're going to sing through, really, the Christmas story. I just want to begin by, um, you know, we've heard maybe if if you've kind of been living in a cave, you'd be unaware that what's happened in Connecticut is is very tragic. And there's a lot of people pushing back about guns and stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, But last night, even as I was trying to fall asleep, um, I was just kind of overwhelmed 
when I just thought of my own children being involved in a tragedy like that, and, and all I could think of was, I don't know how I would deal with that except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'd just like to, us to pray as a church family here for all the families. Many of them would probably not know the gospel and believe the gospel. And I just can't think of anything better to hear than that Jesus has paid it all. Uh, so would you just bow with me as we pray for those families and as we begin here this morning. Jesus, uh, we can't imagine what some of the pain of those families are going through. For those of us here this morning who are parents, Jesus, you've helped us to understand what this would mean. And uh, it's deeply grieving that there is still that much evil in the world. It's still grieving that as much as we have fought for freedom in our countries, (laughs) that freedom has included this deep tragedy. And I'm also reminded that there's all kinds of tragedies like this all over the world. This one hits close to home because it is close to home. We have some Americans here with us this morning that worship with us on a weekly basis. And some of them, this feels like an attack on their home. And I pray that you would just remind them again, Jesus, of the gospel and the good news, really the only hope. There's only one person who makes sure everybody gets what's coming to them, and that's you. There's only one person that forgives deeper than anyone else ever will, and that's you. There's only one person who loves these people more than anyone else, and that's you. And it... It seems trivial to say they need the gospel, but because we, Jesus, have been taught by you of our deep need for the gospel, we know that one of the things that, that is the most helpful, is the only thing that's really deeply helpful, is hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. You've paid it all. Help those who are in pain this morning. Who, will, who are thinking about spending Christmas without that child. Remind us, Jesus, often, not to take for granted any of the time that we have, but to take seriously the time we have to love our loved ones, to love our family, to love our church family, to love those outside our church family. Because we never know, Jesus, what you're going to do. Help us not to take for granted the time you have given to us, but help us to redeem the time well and to love well and to steward well the time we have. Jesus, I also ask this morning as we take our last look at Galatians that you would again remind us how good the gospel really is. And may we enjoy it this morning. I pray for anyone here who's never heard the gospel clearly that they would hear it clearly somehow, Jesus, through your spirit. We trust that you will open our hearts and and please, Jesus, use my words as you want to use them this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, here's here's the uh, the last um, the last message in the series. Uh, but I'm going to be flat out honest with you. It's not the last time you're going to hear the gospel. Uh, on a Sunday morning. In fact, um, it's the last in the series on the gospel. What we want to do with the next series is, is, is remind ourselves of the gospel, but then put out some more applications of the gospel. 
And so to summarize the book of Galatians, if you're brand new, or, or our series even, as we've gone through the book of Galatians, is there's a guy named the Apostle Paul who is a church planter. He's kind of like me, but probably a lot tougher and got a lot more done and didn't go in the theater. Well, maybe he went in the theater. Um, but he planted a church by preaching the gospel. He began to preach the gospel to anyone who would listen. And, and the first kind of people that would have received it would have, would have been in somewhat of a Jewish context, even if they weren't Jews. They would have been in a context that was heavily influenced by Jewish culture. See, the Jewish culture wasn't just what people believed. It was actually integrated into their whole lifestyle. And so as Paul preached, people began to turn to Jesus because the gospel is this good news. And I'll say this clearly again. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth in the form of a baby boy, lived his entire life perfectly sinless, died a heinous death on a Roman cross in our place for our sins, thereby establishing himself as king over all of the law, everything morally good, and also paying for all of the sins that people had. This assumes a number of things. This assumes that we are sinful and are in need of a Savior. And that we understand that God is a holy God and needs to righteously punish sin. Those two things are at odds. That God is so perfect. He's so awesome. He's so amazing. You know, do you remember that movie, uh, what was it called? Garth and, it was Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. What what is that one? Wayne's World, right. where, Where they did that thing, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Do you remember that, we're not worthy? And they did it in kind of a mocking way. Well, God is so holy, He's so awesome that literally, if we could, and there are people who have, in the biblical story, this has happened to them, they caught a glimpse of the presence of God and they fell down dead. That's how unworthy they were to this holy God. And so He's so awesome, He's so righteous, He's so perfect, that He really, He he can't have anything to do with sin. He's just that awesome and amazing. It's hard for us to comprehend. But if you've ever been around something, someone really important, you've seen somewhat of a glimpse. Have you ever been been around a famous hockey player, a famous football player, famous musician, famous artist, and your heart starts beating faster as you get closer to them, and you talk to them and you don't even know what to say? And you're like, you're amazing. You're awesome. I love you. Uh, Did I say that out loud? You know, that kind of stuff. Right? And and as we get to people that we would revere important, we get this. Now, God is so awesome, so holy, that we would literally be speechless and we couldn't look at Him. So this is a problem if we are actually sinful. Because everything that we have done in our lives, the very DNA in our heart is so opposed to God that we we really can't be in relationship with Him unless someone pays for that sin, makes us clean, and accepts us clean. That's who Jesus is. That's the gospel. That's the short form. Now, it's not. It's it's that simple, but it's it's also complex because there's a lot of ways that this applies to life. And so that that good news is what Paul preached. To this Galatian region, he preached in a number of different places and a number of different churches kind of sprung out of that. And as he preached this gospel, he basically said, you you have to decide. News is something you decide whether you believe it or not, not whether it applies to your life. You you can't live out news. You just believe whether news is real or not. In fact, the word word gospel comes from the word evangelion or evangelist. 
evangelism. This is where the word evangelism comes from. And it's, it's, it's a word that basically means life-changing news no matter who you are. In a very similar way that, you know, when the planes crashed into the Twin Towers in 2001. This is news that affected everyone on the entire earth, no matter where you were, no matter who you were, no matter how young or old you were, whether you're male or female, um, no matter what race you were, this was news that had a dramatic effect on your life in all kinds of different ways. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is news that will have a dramatic effect on your life. The decision for you, first of all, is do you believe that it's true? If you do, then continue to listen. If you don't, figure it out. I will try to persuade you over the course of the morning that this is true. And so as Paul preached this gospel, this good news to his Galatian friends, they believed it. They trusted in Jesus as their one and only Savior. They looked to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for their sins. You see, the Jewish religion had a lot of sacrifices where they had to kill a lot of animals on behalf of, you know, instead of them dying, they, they would put this sin on animals. If you've recently... Uh, by the way, a huge recommendation here if you want to watch a great Christmas story called The Nativity Story. Great movie. Uh, in that movie, there's a scene where the king is putting his hands upon an animal and literally placing his sins on the animal. And then he takes his, the priest says, um, okay, now remove your hands. Your sin has been placed on this animal. And then they slit the animal's throat. I mean, not right there, of course. It's a, you know, a family movie, so of course you can't slit throats of animals. Or there would be lots of things to deal with. But you hear the animal kind of balking and dying. And and essentially Jesus takes those sins away. And these people believe this. They trusted that Jesus is this once and for all time sacrifice for our sins. And he reconciles us back to God and puts us back into relationship with God through this. But what had happened is there were a number of teachers who wanted to bring a lot of their Jewish background into this gospel news. They wanted to add it. The way we talk about it here at Urban Grace is gospel plus. They added some things to the gospel. Now, it was strange. It would have been strange for you to hear what they added. Because if you were in charge of that church, there's very good chance you wouldn't have added circumcision to the things, to the gospel, right? Anyone here was like, yeah, I think circumcision should be a, a decent thing to add to the gospel message. No, no one is. Like most of you were like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Okay, if you don't know what circumcision is, there's a little thing called the internet. Uh, but be careful. Okay? Don't just Google circumcision. Like, be careful. But what circumcision was this thing that was, was literally a mark of people that believed in God. That's how you, you, instead of raising your hand like we do now, they literally got circumcised at a very young age and then kind of grew into this. And then so what, what happened is they, the, the Jewish teachers wanted to impress upon these Gentile believers that you should believe in Jesus and you should do these other things, that that's really what makes a Christian. And Paul came in and he cleared house. He cleaned house and he said, that's not true. If you add anything to gospel, you don't have gospel anymore. If you take away anything from the gospel, you don't have gospel anymore. And so the series has been about um, all this, this controversy that's been going on. And he's repeated himself over and over again, kind of like me, right? Like some of you are like, I've heard this every week for the last four months, right? Because that's what's in the text, really. 
as Paul has repeated himself over and over and over again. And the, the last part of chapter 5 and, and chapter 6 is really about some of the applications of the gospel. It's these practical applications of what happens once you understand the gospel. And so there's two major principles that I find in our text. We're not really going to deal with verses 11 to 18, and here's why. If you want them dealt with, go back and listen to all of the previous messages about the gospel because that's what's there. So I'm not skipping out because I think it's not important. I'm saying we've covered this a number of times. And it's here in summary, uh, the final warning and, and benediction that Paul says. And so we're going to deal with the two uh, principles that we see in chapter 6. But I want to read it out for you first. And here's the problem is that sometimes you have to read the verse previous to the actual text, so you can kind of get and understand the connection there. So I'm going to read verse 26 of chapter 5, or verse 25 of chapter 5, and read all the way to the end. So here's what it says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is God's word. Okay, so there's two principles that we see in this text. The first principle is this. We see that there is a place for gospel correction. The second principle we see is this, that there is still in place this idea of sowing and reaping. Now, these don't necessarily seem to connect to you, uh, perhaps, uh, but I think they're very fitting as, as the, the, the kind of the letter in the series ends because what has happened over this time is that Paul really has spent a lot of time in the whole area of gospel correction. And so it's very easy for us to, I think, be uh, tempted to kind of 
now we're the gospel police. We've joked about this sometimes in our city groups that the point of getting the gospel right is not so that we can walk around like the gospel police, flash our badge. Hey, I'm, I'm uh, officially gone through the book of Galatians and uh, you don't have the gospel. That's not the point of getting the gospel correctly and we'll, we'll have a tendency to do that, right? Uh, there's also this tendency to think that because we know and we understand grace, because we understand that it is by faith alone, it is not by good works. You can't earn your salvation by what you do. You can't get closer to God by serving Him better or by praying more or by reading your Bible. Those things do are the process, one of the processes by which we do this, but you cannot earn your salvation that way. And when you stress this all the time, there is also the temptation to say, well, what I do does not matter at all. Right? Any of you have been tempted by that as we've gone through the gospel here? Well, if it's all by faith and my works don't count toward my salvation, then what do I do good things for God for? Well, God says, actually, he's put into play this whole principle of sowing and reaping. And he's actually really serious about this. And so I think these are great. uh, This is a great way to end the series. So now that we have the gospel, um, how do we correct people with the gospel? And and how do we keep a a, a fine balance, a a good balance of um, kind of moving in our good works towards God? And so the first principle I want to talk about is correcting with the gospel. And that's in verses, that's why I had to read verse 25. And it goes all the way to 6.5, six, uh, six, actually. And here are the issues. I'm just going to go through them one by one. But the, the, the main point here really in this is what you think about yourself is how you will act towards others. Okay? What you think about yourself is how you will act toward others. What the gospel really does when it is working properly is it gives you the proper view of yourself. It helps you to not think too highly of yourself because you understand the gospel tells you you are a sinner and you are in need of help. You are in need of a savior. I mean, if if you want to simplify the gospel, that's how I would say it. When we baptize people and we say, are you going to publicly proclaim you're a Christian? What I ask them is, are you a sinner and do you need a Savior? And is that Savior Jesus? That's how I simplify it. The, the gospel puts you in that right place. But it also doesn't put you too low. It doesn't put you be, below what you actually are. It doesn't, that, that, that good news of Jesus Christ saving you as a sinner, that shouldn't crush you. In fact, it should make grace seem all the better because God does not withhold His blessing upon your life until you get your life together. He actually does it before any of your life is together and while your life is still a mess, He continues to bless. That's why the gospel is good news. Because the truth is you will never get rid of all the sin in your life. You will never fully be able to deal completely with all of the sin in your life. You will still struggle through this. You will still be at war with sin throughout your life. And so what the gospel does is puts you, it helps you think rightly about yourself. Helps you not to think too high of yourself and helps you not to think too low of yourself. Now, if you do gospel correction and you don't really understand the gospel and where the gospel has put you, you will do gospel correction thinking too highly of yourself, or you will try to do gospel correction thinking too low of yourself. Both of these cause major problems. Okay? 
If you think too highly of yourself, if, if you don't understand that you are a sinner and in need of the gospel, and you say, well, I've arrived and I don't really have problems, and oh, those people have problems. I mean, we know people like that, right? In fact, so I, we, we caught ourselves talking like this at the beginning of our church as we were starting to gather. We're like, oh, those people really need Jesus. Right? We'd see those people and they'd have like lots of tattoos and lots of piercings. And we're like, you ever done that? You're like, man, they need Jesus something fierce. Now, what is that? That is you thinking they need the gospel more than you. That is you thinking too highly of yourself. And if you do that, have you ever had someone try and correct you and tell you what you're doing is wrong from that position? What's that like? Anyone enjoyable? Is that fun? Right? Someone who has it all together? Yeah, that's not any fun at all. Nobody likes that. Most of us are like, I know you're right, but I hate you, so I'm not going to listen to you. Right? You're right about what you're saying, but I don't want to listen to you because you think you have it all together. And I clearly know you don't. That's the problem. Because the gospel tells me we're all in the same boat. In fact, that's the reason why lots of people don't even come to church. Because they think the church is filled full of people who don't need the gospel anymore. And you're trying to get them to come to the church because they need the gospel a lot, but you don't. If you're new here, that is not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We all understand quite well we need the gospel probably more than everyone else does. And the reason why I can say that truthfully is because I know me better than I know you. I see some of you, some of you I'm really close with, others I don't know at all, but I'm with me all the time. I watch me sin all the time. When I'm a jerk, I'm right there. Right? So I know how much I need the gospel. So uh, technically, if I know me better than anyone else, I need the gospel more than anyone else. That's not lying. That's not exaggerating. That's just straight up truth. But if you try to correct someone else in the gospel without understanding your own need, what will happen is you will constantly look down on them. This is what will happen. You will lose friendships this way. This is why you will, people won't come back to you. <laughs> like, hey, we were going out for coffee all the time. You stopped asking me to go out for coffee. What happened? Well, you thought too highly of yourself. The, the Bible would use the word conceited. We would say arrogant, maybe. You've met people inside the church like that. You've met people outside the church. What's really hard is when you meet those people inside the church. That gets real destructive to gospel correction. Just so you know, our city group leaders, one of the things I am stressing to them right now as we speak is, please tell your city group how much you need the gospel every week. Lead in this. Be the first one to say, I need the gospel more than you guys do this week. Because I know me this week better than you do. Because it's impossible to really properly correct other people in the gospel. And once you understand your own needs, what's amazing is you can begin to see it in other people. But you don't have this judgmental attitude. You're like, well, it's not half as bad as I need it. And if you find yourself looking down on people and doing mission, we've talked about this in our city group, like this, doing mission to people, sharing Jesus, like you need the gospel more than me. You look to me it will be very difficult for you to do mission because you won't, you won't have any compassion. You'll have frustration. You'll be like, dude can't get his life together. What the gospel says is, 
my translation, Jesus says, dude, your lives are all a mess. And I see all of them. So cut it out and look eye to eye and help one another with the gospel. That's why it says right there, um, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That word spiritual should probably be capitalized. I wonder why the translators didn't do this. They didn't want to like get us confused. But it's not like spiritual is like I'm spiritual. You know those people. They could wear a badge. It wouldn't matter. They, they look spiritual, right? You can tell by the way they dress even. It's like you're better than me. Johnny was talking about that last week. Right? It's just even the way they say it. Well, we don't even watch TV. And you shouldn't either is what basically they should say, right? That's how you feel. It's like oh, I don't listen to that music. And neither should you. That's what it feels like. This is brothers, you who are filled with the Spirit should respond like the Spirit responds to you. Is that what the Spirit does to you? Really, does the Holy Spirit come in and say, you are a mess. Let me know when you've got your life together and we'll talk. Here's my card. Call me. But only when you've got it put together. No, the Holy Spirit says, look it, you're a mess. I know that. I'll walk with you. And sometimes we say to the Spirit, I don't want to talk to you. He says, okay, I'll be back. And it comes back again. That's what we would call conscience or conviction. He says, hey, want to talk now? Lots of times we're like, nope. He's like, okay. Um, I'm going to put these people in your life and they're going to remind you of some things. um, And we'll talk after, okay? And so it comes back later. You want to talk now? Not yet. Okay. Okay, I'll keep sending people, and uh, eventually I'll just, I'll just wear you out with my gentleness. And for those of you who are starting to grasp the gospel, this is not how you feel about it, is it? You don't feel like the armbar UFC rear naked choke. That's not, if you're not in UFC, don't get any crazy ideas about the word rear naked choke. It's like a wrestling move that literally knocks you out. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes he takes things away, but he often does it in such a gentle way. Okay? This is what Paul says. If, if anyone's like caught in sin, if anyone's struggling with sin, it's like they're, they're, they're blindsided by it. They don't really know what to do with it. You who are filled full of the Spirit should come along in gentleness and respond a lot like the Holy Spirit responds to you. Now, here's what happens if you think too low of yourself is you won't say the tough things. You, there are some of us here this morning, we would say self-esteem. I, don't, I think self-esteem is a weird uh, phrase. I don't quite get it. I don't really believe in self-esteem. I believe in spirit esteem or Jesus esteem because that's how the Bible talks. But essentially, if, if you uh, think less of yourself, if you stay in the, I'm a sinner and I can't do anything, and the gospel teaches me this, you know what you'll do? You'll never say anything that you think is mean to anyone to correct them. Am I right on that? If you are more worried about whether or not you'll have friends, rather than you'll be saved by your Savior, you'll never say, look it, I love you, but i got to tell you, I'm watching this in your life and it looks like you're stuck in the mud and your rubber boots are coming off. I need, I need to help you here. Because you'll, you'll be like, well, if I say something mean, then they won't like me. And if they don't like me, then we can't play in the same worship team together. And then we, like city group's going to be awkward. And so I just won't say anything. 
See, that's too low of yourself. That's thinking too low of yourself. Because that's putting all of this correction on your shoulders and saying, really, the Holy Spirit's the one who does the convicting. God says, you don't worry about convicting people. I will convict people. Some of you have come up to me after a service and say, I can't believe how convicting that was, what you said. I'm like, I didn't say it. I didn't even know that was going on in your life. That wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit doing his work. That's what he does. He convicts. But he doesn't just convict you of your sin. He convicts you of what's right. A friend of mine, I loved it. He said, what I've been learning is the Holy Spirit has been convicting me of my sin and he's been convicting me of his righteousness in my life. Yes, that is how the Holy Spirit works. He tells you you're a sinner in need of grace and then he says, I'll give that grace to you and it's all paid for through Jesus. The Holy Spirit does both of those things. And so if you think too highly of yourself or you think too, too low, low of yourself, you will not be able to do gospel correction properly. And so this is, this is very practical for us. But as you do this, there's, there's this phrase that says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Again, this, this is thinking too highly of yourself. Like if you think too highly of yourself, you will go into situations and try to do gospel correction with people and think, I, I'm not going to sin in this area. It's like I'm going to help the person with, with, with uh, money. Well, I, like I'll just, I'll, I'll go in and there's no temptations for me because I'm pretty good actually. If you think too highly of yourself, if you don't understand your own need for the gospel, you're opening yourself to some temptation. And, and really the Bible says no one's beyond. If you struggle to worship God in your life, at some point you'll be tempted. I think we're tempted less in some areas than others. And I think God made us genetically susceptible to some temptations more than others. I do think that that's very much a part of this. But I think it's dangerous to walk into this gospel correction and helping one another thinking, I don't really have need of listening to myself, but I sure know you need this. It's really dangerous because it's, it's arrogance. And really, arrogance in the gospel, it, it doesn't even make sense. You can't be arrogant if you really understand the gospel. If you really understand what Jesus has done for you, you realize everything you have has been a gift. In fact, that's what... Paul says to his Corinthian friends, he goes, what do you have that you haven't been given? How can you brag about this? It's like the person who's bragging about the great job to the person who doesn't have the great job because that great job was given to them by their dad who did this, that they didn't do anything to deserve. You can't brag about that. And if you do, it's just annoying. You're like, yeah, you can brag all you want, but you, you weren't even there for anything that you did. You're there because someone else paved the way for you and gave you this job and put up with your crap. And so it's very clear. As you do gospel correction, watch yourself. Deal with this in your own life. Because if the person who's getting the correction sees this very obviously in your life and you tell them that it's not in your life, do you know what will happen with that relationship? It won't happen. That's what will happen. You won't have that relationship for very long. This happens, um, this happens in our family a little bit, okay? Um, I'll, I'll leave that till later, though. Um, 
Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. I, I guess what I was trying to say is my girls love to help Leslie and I out with family discipline. Okay? For those of you who don't have kids, I, I hope you enjoy this one. Enjoy it while it lasts is what I say. Because one day you're going to be the parents with the kids in Walmart that are screaming. Okay? Watch yourself lest you too be tempted. So what happens is the one, the one kid will be like, I'll help you with discipline. And so for that like 30-second period that they're obedient to you and the other kid isn't obedient, they're like, I'm, that person needs to shape up. You know, Eve is like, Donna should listen to you guys better like me. And I'm like, okay, well, for the next 45 seconds, you're cool. But as soon as Donna takes away a toy, you're going to... And so it's funny to watch this as children, but I think we're a lot like this as Christians. Like, yeah, you know what? I hate to say it. I'm better than you, but you have a real problem with pride. Uh, What? That wouldn't make sense, would it? I just, because I have no idols in my life, I really want to help you who who has idols in your life. I'm, I'm, this, I'm warning you right now, this isn't going to go well. And Paul says it because that's not really how the gospel works. Watch yourself lest you be tempted. In fact, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think this is also helpful because sometimes we want to help correct people in the gospel without being willing to bear their burdens. And we do this one of two ways, okay? We want to be really helpful. And so... Um, First of all, there's two wrong ways to understand bear one another's burdens. We don't really take this seriously sometimes, and some of us are really too proud to allow other people to help us bear burdens. Like we're in pain, but we will, and we'll say it, I don't want to burden you, right? We'll be flat out, I don't want to burden you with this. I don't want to burden you with this. Now, there there's some burdens that, yeah, you need to carry, and, and, and Paul addresses that. He's like, Pull your own weight. Bear your own load. Bear the load that God has given to you. But the, the reason why he says bear one another's burdens is it's, it's like it's rigged to build us into community together. It's like sometimes we're like, why is this so painful? Why am I struggling through this? Because you're trying to bear it yourself. That's why. And you're supposed to share the load. This is a pain for all of us. This shows up by we, we don't want to ask other people to pray for us. Why? Why don't we want to do that? Well, we don't want to appear needy. Too late. The gospel says you're needy. So kill your pride and ask for prayer and say, I need Jesus' help on this because I don't know the answer to this. And if Jesus doesn't come through, I'm, I'm out to lunch. What's stopping us from sharing those kind of things and saying, call some, you know, is this happening in the summertime for me? I don't know. It looks like I wouldn't be this way, but I get lonely. Did you know that? Last summer, one of the best things, one of the best gifts I got in this church was my friend Pete. I call him up. I'd say it. Dude, I am lonely. I mean, don't creep out that I'm saying this. I texted it, right? You don't call up and say, I'm lonely. (laughs) Because I'm a guy and guys shouldn't cry. Too late for that, too. I text him, dude, I'm lonely. What are you doing? Can you hang out with me? Can you just be there? I know that sounds weird, but I'm like, I'm lonely. And what happens when I get lonely is I get lots of temptation that comes up. 
not just temptation to look where I'm not supposed to look, but temptation to think what I'm not supposed to think. Like I'm worthless, for one. Like nobody likes me, for two. Like, has anyone listened to my sermons? Do you know how many times I go home after a Sunday afternoon and go, did, did what I say even make sense at all? I think that. Do you know what will continue to perpetuate that? It's if I don't talk to people about it. <laughs> Lots of times it's like, oh, I, I'm pretty sure I actually didn't even say that. That was probably the Holy Spirit, like, shouting above me because I messed it all up. But I think... One of the things I realize is that that's not, if I really understand the gospel, that's not a problem. My stature before Jesus has not changed because I need some people. Did you know that when, as Paul was writing the le- his letters to his, his friends in Galatia, and he's like, you need to hear the gospel. He's like, by the way, can you bring some books and a bunch of guys to come and visit me in prison? Because I'm lonely and cold. And bored. So bring a pen and bring me a coat and bring some dudes so we can sit around and talk while I'm in prison. Because Paul knew that by asking for this, he was just showing his need of people, his need that he wasn't self sufficient, that he needed other people, namely Jesus. But Jesus will use other people. And some of us are actually too arrogant to admit we need to allow other people to take some of our burdens. We're trying to work this out in city groups. And it's very difficult, by the way, because we're not used to this. Right? We're not used to asking for help. We're used to being really self-sufficient. And so we're trying to learn as a family, like when you're on mission with someone, we want to pray for that person. We want to see if we can help that person. We want to help you help that person. We want to pray for you. If you've got sickness, like you, like this is the place to share it. If, if you need and want prayer, like this is the place to share it. We try and create a, a safe place for this where, you know, um, people can, can share openly about this. But the, the flip side of this, that's why I said in gospel correction, uh, some of us need to, to share our burdens with others so that we can, by sharing our burdens, can correct people in the gospel and show other people what the gospel is like. The flip side of this is true as well. And I think in particular, um, because we live in such a consumerist society, and and in particular, I think, um, of course, I always want to go after the young guys because I was once a young guy and I was once like this. That's why. But we want other people to bear all of our burdens when we should really pull some of our own weight. You have those people too, right? They're always calling you and texting you. I'm lonely. That was like 30 seconds ago. I mean, you, sometimes you just, you've got to bear the burden by yourself because God wants to do work in you. And, and, and see, in both of these ways, we're placing our Savior in someone other than Jesus. When we don't allow other people to, to help us bear the burdens, we're placing the Savior complex on us and saying, I can do it by myself. When we put all of the burden on someone else, and some of, we call these people like high needs or high maintenance, right? That's, the, that's translated. Uh, someone who puts too much of their burden on other people. Meaning they really, they, we, we can clearly tell they'll be able to take this much weight in terms of emotional and physical and service and all this kind of stuff. But we, we, what we, what we uh, push this on someone else. So I'm lonely, I'm bored, and you're going to have to deal with it now. 
And, and the Bible says, don't. Don't do that. For each will have to bear his own load. Let each, each one test his own work. So worry about yourself. Worry about the, you know, what, is, what burdens has Jesus called you to bear? And sometimes he will do that by you saying, I need help with this burden. It's like no one has time. And so, hey, God says, I'm going to do this in you alone. It's not that you're not seeking communion. It's just that it feels like Jesus is, is saying, hey, I want you to learn to trust me by yourself in this area. Because you push a lot of responsibility. You push the Savior onto other people and you expect other people. And that's why when, you know, the, the danger in me doing that with my buddy Pete was, hey, Pete, I'm, I'm lonely today. Come and, and just hang out with me. If he said no, and I, my, my life was now over. You can't? Oh, my day is going to be horrible now. I'll never make it. That, that's putting, putting the Savior complex on my buddy Pete. Some of us do this with our spouses. We place all of the burden on our spouses. If our spouse isn't there for us at every waking moment of the day, then our life is a mess. Especially dudes, this is not the way God wanted to be. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to carry some weight and, and ask for others to help to carry some weight. This applies, I think, uh, individually. This applies corporately as a church. I, I think it's a, it's a call that some of us need to like step up. There are some people that have been with Urban Grace that maybe you haven't seen it. They have been serving from day one, and they are here every Sunday, whether you are or not. And they work hard. We, we, when we pray, we always recognize our sound people because our sound people are the kind of people where you don't really notice if it goes well, but you totally know us, notice when it doesn't. And I've heard comments from people. It's like, yeah, this, this happened or this happened. It's like, you just started coming here. This doesn't make sense. You're not pulling any weight, and you're telling someone who's always pulling weight what they're doing wrong? That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel gives us a mission. The gospel gives us things to do. The gospel helps us to bear weight because Jesus has paid it all. We are perfectly satisfied in Jesus. Our identities is, is dealt with. Our stature, our power is dealt with. Our sin is dealt with. Our friendship is dealt with. We can do the things that Jesus has asked us to do. So here it is. Bear one another's burdens. And we don't see... When we do gospel correction, sometimes we do it without being willing to bear someone's burden. Have you ever done that? You ever wanted to... Like, what's your motivation for correcting? So that you can get people to stop doing the annoying things that you don't want them to do? That's often what it is, right? Ask yourself, like, when you... Think of a person that you want to, like... You want to correct things in your life. Put up your hand if there's someone that you want to correct. Come on. Everyone should have their hand up. There's always that person. That's just the thing. There's always that person that you're like, man, I just, when they do that, it just drives me crazy. And you just want to, you want to correct it. But why do you want to correct it? So that you don't get annoyed? Or so that they learn the gospel? And I think when we, when we get the gospel and the gospel puts us in a right place, 
We're willing to sit with people and bear one another's burdens when we correct them because that's actually what happens. It's because what God often does is He will say, I want you to, to help do some gospel correction in their life and then I'm, I'm asking you to sit with them while I correct it. So He's going to do two things. He's going to work in their heart and He's going to work in yours because you're going to have to learn to be patient. You're going to have to learn how to be humble. You're going to have to learn how to get rid of your pride. Whatever He does in this person's life, that's up to Him. And I think too often we're so willing. I know I am like this. I'm like, oh, I want to correct all kinds of people in the gospel, but I don't want to actually spend time with them. Right? And, and that's the temptation to want to do this correction without being willing to bear their burdens. But the gospel says, we're in this together. The gospel says you are needy, and the gospel says you need community, and that's why God invented church through Jesus. This wasn't my idea or anyone else's idea. This was Jesus' idea so that we would understand our needs. Look around you. You need these people. You need the people around you. You need the people that are weak around you, and you need the people that are strong around you. You need your friends here at Urban Grace and you need those who are not your friends. You need those who have a lot in common with you and you need those who don't have anything in common with you. That's really what I love about church. If church is working properly, someone should, from, from not from our church, should come and go, why are all these people together? They're not like each other at all. Yeah. When the gospel is working properly, that's what will happen. Church, it'll it'll always feel weird for people. It's like, what do you guys all do? Well, this person likes indie rock and this person likes Justin Bieber. We don't have music in common. Well, where do you work? Well, this person's a geologist and this person's an artist. Um, There's men and there's women. There's young and there's old. There's kids and there's not kids. There's everything. Yeah, the gospel puts us all on a level plating field and says, I want you to bear all one another's burdens. And some of you need to learn how to share more of your burdens with others and kill your pride. And some of you need to start pulling some weight and take the burden that God has clearly called you to bear. And so we're, we're wanting to build this culture of we're not just a bunch of consumers that we come in here and we receive, we receive, we receive, we receive. But we come in here and perhaps you receive and you learn the gospel, but then we're going to challenge you. You've got to take that gospel out. A little story. This morning, my young daughter, Dinah, she wants, to, uh, she wants to take communion with you all. Be encouraged by that. My daughter loves her church. And it's, it's all because of you. Certainly not because of me. And so she really wants to take communion. We've talked over and we've talked baptism and all these things. And so she says, oh, Dad, I really want to take communion. So here's what I said. Okay, if you, want, if you think you know what communion is about, I want you to teach your friend Lizzie here what it's about. You tell her what about, and then I'll ask Lizzie what it's about. I'm not just going to have you consume all the time. You're going to learn how to teach this to your friend. Right? She's nine. So she comes back. She's like, Dad, I got it. I got it. I got it. So she's like, okay, Lizzie, tell them. 
And Lindsay's like, okay, it's about repentance, about you're a sinner and you need a savior. The wine is the blood. And she's like, tell them about the bread. The bread? The bread? What is that? Why do you need blood? Because Jesus died for our sins. Now, see, what's interesting is, and you, uh, this is not me. I'm not taking credit for this. I'm saying when we get the attitude like at some point you've got to stop just consuming and just, you know, burdening for other people. You've got to carry your own load. You've you got to start teaching other people. That's why I said really the primary evangelist for city groups should be you guys, not me. And some of us need to learn that. So we both, there's people in both camps here. We have lots to learn from each other. You know, if you need help sharing, if you need help with your burden, let somebody know. If you don't know anyone, get in a city group for crying out loud. We say it like every Sunday. These are places where people will love you. I promise you that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the last A because I'm way out of time. Uh, but B, because it's really awkward, actually. Uh, the second part of the text really talks about reaping and sowing. And so it talks about what we're doing. And I, I, I literally am, am running out of time here. Uh, so I'll only say a couple things. But God put this principle in place called reaping and sowing. And so when we talk about the gospel, we talk about what it does in our lives, um, one of the, the dangers we have is that we think that the gospel tells us not to do anything, but that's not true. God put this little principle in place called reaping and sowing. Anyone from a farm background? I'm missing. Yeah. Woo. Okay, we got a, a Kansan there. And where are you from? Manitoba, Manitoba right? I was going to say Saskatchewan. Usually it's Saskatchewan, right? Calgary is filled full of ex-farmers from Saskatchewan who want a big city but still lots of space. So this farming metaphor works for those of us who are farmers and for those of us who are not. Just put your thinking caps on and imagine farming for a second, okay? Okay, this is how farming works. You put seed in the ground and a couple of months, weeks, sometimes years later, things come up. Right? You put seed in the ground in the spring generally. In the fall, you harvest it. You swath it, you combine it, you reap the harvest. Okay, there's a pretty simple principle, although there are, there are some kind of weaknesses in this metaphor, it's, it's pretty true. If you plant in the spring, if you plant canola, in the fall, you do not harvest barley. Okay? This is kind of how it works. So if you plant nothing in the spring... Regardless of how much it rains, what do you harvest in the fall? Nothing. Okay? Now, my, my parents, I mean, this, as I was thinking through this, I grew up on a farm, and we grew up on mostly grain farm, wheat, wheat farm. And so last year, uh, they decided to grow wheat again. I guess wheat was, like, coming back. It was vintage or whatever. Came back in style. Wheat kind of went out for a while, and then came back in, because I guess people still like bread. So uh, wheat's back in. They had a bumper crop which means that they had a greater harvest than they'd ever had. But regardless of their bumper crop, and bumper crops are, they happened once in my dad's lifetime. Not while I was there, of course, but while I was long gone, not working on the farm anymore. But regardless of the bumper crop, um, because this year it was totally the opposite. They had the worst crop they've ever had. But in both cases, they still harvested what they planted. In both cases, 
100% of the time. Last year, they planted wheat in the spring. They harvested wheat in the fall. This year, they planted canola mixed in with some lentils. I know that sounds crazy for those of you who aren't farmers, but they kind of grew together. Um, And in the fall, they harvested very little, but they harvested canola, and the lentils had died. But if they would have harvested, they would have harvested lentils. Now, I'm really, like, dumbing this right down for all of us because this is actually a principle that works spiritually as well. Jesus put this in place, and it actually says that. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He put this into place. He's not going to, like, reverse it. But sometimes we think, in terms of gospel work, we don't have to plant anything, and God will harvest all this. We're like, well, God's like, well, I want you to plant canola, and we plant barley. And then we're like, well, why didn't I receive canola at the end of the day? The harvest. Because you didn't plant it. Idiot. You planted canola. Like, what, what do you expect? I mean, God doesn't say idiot. That's my translation. Sorry. Scratch that from the internet, please. But this works in our spiritual lives like this. Like, if, if you spend a lot of time in your word, you're going to know what God says generally about things. That's how it works. Like, I'm amazed sometimes, like, after a message, some people will come up to me and they'll be like, man, I didn't see that in the passage before today. Now, part of that is just just the natural outworking of the Spirit. But part of it is, like, I spent, like, 12 hours reading one paragraph. You probably would come up with some of those things, too, if you spent 12 hours in one paragraph of the Bible. That's kind of how it works. And I've noticed that. The more time and more preparation I put into this, while I do depend upon the Spirit of God, just like my parents would depend upon the rain and the soil and all of that, but this this principle of sowing and reaping is still there. And you will find this. The more time that you spend in prayer, the more you will know what God is like to listen to. Some of us think this doesn't work this way. It's all about grace, so sowing and reaping is over. That's not true. A lifetime of habitually praying and being in the Word will reap benefits. There will be repercussions for this. It's not an accident that our church happens to be growing. You may say, well, it's like the cool music. Well, I kind of think it's cool, but... Most of you are like, "Mm." you know why our church is growing like it is? Because you guys are telling people about it. It's pretty simple. You believe the gospel. It's good news to you. You tell someone else. They come. They hear the gospel. It's pretty simple, actually. We're reaping benefits of the kinds of things that you are sowing. I look, Pat, in some of my old churches that I was part of. Why didn't they grow? Actually, it's because we weren't sowing anything. We were expecting this great harvest all the while. Well, God does all the growing, so I won't invite anyone to church and see what happens. God's like, I will not be mocked. You invite people to your church, eventually some of them are going to come. It's just how it works. Now, if, if you think I'm about this earns you salvation, you're wrong. You don't sow a bunch of things and then earn your salvation. Now that we've been clear about that in Galatians, we can actually say some of these things. But this works individually and corporately as well. In your own personal life, 
If you invest things in the kingdom of God, you will reap them in the kingdom of God. Some of those harvests you will not see until judgment day. Yes, that is true. They will, there will be a lot of things unseen. But judgment day will come and Jesus will, he'll, you know, I think really how I need to explain this is there's like two judgments. So there's like judgment, are you in heaven or not heaven? And then judgment in terms of what did you do with what I gave you? I think we miss that sometimes. And we think, oh, we all get everything. Jesus clearly says there's some sort of rewards. Now, it's not based upon your salvation. Can I repeat that? It's not you get into heaven through these things. But I think there will be some sort of a judgment. Like, what did you do with what I gave to you? And God clearly says right here, don't be deceived. Don't buy into this. What you do in this life doesn't matter. If you sow things in the Spirit, if you work with the Spirit, if you plant seeds with the Spirit, you will reap seeds with the Spirit. You know, this is the way I want us to think about like our Bible reading or city groups. Like for those of you who are part of city groups, you know this. The more you pour in your city group, what happens? The more you get out of it. This is not rocket science. This is sowing and reaping. And there are some even that would say, well, I'm not very connected to church and I don't know my Bible as well. And it's like, well, are you reading your Bible? Well, no. Well, it doesn't work that way. I think this is so important for us to get because it's a good reminder, like, work hard. Work hard on your salvation. Get involved. Be on mission. Sow lots of seeds and see what God will do. Perhaps he will give you a bumper crop just to show you. I think this is so good for us, especially, I think, as a young church, as we're kind of moving into, like, our church will be what we sow. Not just what I sow, but what you sow. I think that's what I enjoy so much about this church, is that it's not just what I sow and reap. It's what I see all kinds of people sowing and reaping. And it's, it's really a cool thing. I mean, the opposite is true. If you don't sow, you're not going to reap. If you spend your weekend playing video games and drinking beer, I'm not going to be that surprised that you don't have time for church or city group or have a great spiritual life. It's going to make sense to me, right? If you spend all your time and your hobby and your work, it's going to make sense that you don't have time and you don't reap a great spiritual life. But friends, this is the way Jesus wants it to be. Now, if you think that you get everything because of what you do, again, that's the corrective. That's why you've got to hear the gospel first. But I think Jesus is very clear. I will not be mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Malcolm Gladwell wrote this fascinating book called Outliers. Is that right? Outliers? Outliers? Someone said it right. Outliers. Uh, great book. And in that book, he tells a bunch of stories of really famous people who we think like, oh, they were given this sort of like genius. They were given this sort of like step up on life. They were given this sort of advantage in life. And actually, he kind of breaks it down. He says, no, it's kind of true. Regardless of who you are, regardless of your genius, it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. And each one of these really successful people have literally, all they've done is they put in their 10,000 hours. 
Now, this is lined up with certain points in history where those 10,000 hours made sense and uh, certain times of years that you were born, so you were allowed to practice 10,000 hours. But he's like, it's kind of universal. We think like, oh, wow, Steve Jobs, you just stumbled upon this thing at this one time, and because he was such a genius and anomaly, no, it really had a lot to do with just 10,000 hours. Same thing with Bill Gates. Same thing with Wayne Gretzky. Same thing with lots of people. It's funny, I, um, I began to hit a stride even in preaching where I, I, I kind of, I knew how long it took me to, to kind of study the Bible and to get a sermon put together. It took me about 10,000 hours of just consistently doing it over and over again. Now, is the Spirit alive? Is the Spirit working through that? Absolutely He is. But it is amazing, this sowing and reaping. Think about this carefully. What has God asked you to sow? What has Jesus asked you to sow? Where are you negligent in that? I want today to challenge you to repent and say, Jesus, I have not taken you seriously on this. I want to change the way I'm doing this. Can you help me change? I want you to also repent of the ways in which you have tried to do gospel correction out of your own strength and out of your own will. You've thought too highly of yourself or you thought too low of yourself. I want you to repent of that as well. And say, Jesus, I, I'm, I want to do gospel correction the way you want me to do gospel correction. First of all, show me my great need for the gospel again. And so we have this little thing. It's called a family meal or a communion or the Lord's table. Uh, or the Lord's tables, if you will, now. And this is the place where you get a chance to, to stand up physically, stand in line, and think carefully through your plan of repentance. This is your chance to pray openly and say, Jesus, I've, I've messed up here. Thankfully, you're good. Thankfully, your grace has covered all my sin. Thankfully, you do not just give me forgiveness, but you empower me through your spirit to change and I want you to think about that as you partake this morning. As, as we close our series on the gospel, I want you to also ask Jesus and His Holy Spirit not to close your heart on the gospel. It's not the last time you're going to have to deal with the gospel. It's not the last time you're going to be called to repentance. It's not the last time you're going to be told that Jesus is good. In fact, for some of you, it may be the first time. And so I want you simply to participate and respond as the Holy Spirit calls you. And ask, what burdens am I not properly bearing? How am I doing gospel correction incorrectly? How am I not bearing my load properly? How am I not sowing properly? And then rejoice that Jesus has a plan for you. He'll help you and give His Spirit to you.